This morning, I want to continue with the theme, good news, great joy. That's the theme for the season. It's the theme for every Christmas season. It's really the theme for every day of our lives. Because the good news is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gospel always brings great joy. And so for you to understand the Christmas story, you come to grips with the reality that the news that came from the angels that night would produce the greatest of all joy. And so we want to continue to talk to you about that because as we, as we have reviewed with you, there was this great expectation about the coming of the Messiah. That expectation had been for 4,000 years. Long time. And they lived with an increasing expectation that the Messiah would come and redeem his people. And so we talked to you about Psalm 40, about the expectation of the Messiah when he says, Behold, I come. Psalm 118, verse number 26, we talked to you about blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord because the Messiah was the coming one. So they expected him to come at any moment. But it was dark. 400 silent years. Nothing had happened. No angel had spoken. No prophet had spoken. No miracle had happened until the angel, Gabriel, spoke to Zacharias and told him he was going to have a son. And that son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, expectation became a reality. And on that night in Bethlehem, when the angel said, when the glory of the Lord shone all around them, be not afraid, for we bring to you good news of great joy. That shall be for all the people. There was this expectation that came to an exclamation, a great exclamation, when they said, behold, stand in awe. We want you to know that what we're going to tell you is so magnificent because we're going to tell you that everything you've been waiting for has arrived. All that news is going to bring you nothing but joy. And so from the expectation came an exclamation. And from that exclamation came the extension because it will be for all people, not just for some people, it will be for all people, not just Jewish people, but even the Gentiles. Yes, salvation is of the Jews, but we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greeks, also to the Gentiles. You see, the extension goes way beyond Israel to the world. And so, as the angels spoke, they spoke then not just of what they were expecting, not just an exclamation, not just an extension of the good news that brings great joy. They talked to you then about the expression of good news that brings great joy. Because it was all expressed in one person, a Savior who was Christ the Lord. The good news is that Jesus has come. The good news is that Messiah has arrived. 
The good news is that the Savior that the Old Testament spoke of is here to save his people. That this Savior is not just Messiah, he is Lord of lords. He is King of all kings. And when we talk to you about the Savior, we talk to you about the fact that this is just not a New Testament concept, but it's an Old Testament concept. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God was in the process of saving his people Israel, delivering his people Israel. It comes from his memorial name in Exodus chapter 3. Tell them, I am sent you, Moses. When they ask the question, when it comes to delivering my people Israel out of Egypt, you tell them, I am sent you. And this is how I want to be remembered from generation to generation. For this is my memorial name. I am a deliverer, a redeemer, I am a savior. And that's how Israel remembered their God. He is a savior. And so when the angel said to the shepherds that night, they made it very clear that the savior of the Old Testament has now arrived in their lives and for the salvation of their people Israel. The beauty of that would ring so loud in their ears because the shepherds never asked a question about a savior. We don't need a savior. They never asked any questions because they lived in anticipation, expectation of the coming of their Messiah. And they lived with such expectation that when he arrived, they could not wait to leave and go see him and to see this word that was spoken to them. They lived in expectation, knowing that the Savior would come. And now that the Savior had arrived, they realized that everything they had longed for has now arrived in their lives. And we told you last week that our Lord is a, is a Savior of all men, 1 Timothy 4.10, especially of those who believe that he's a savior of all men in the temporal sense, in the physical sense, but especially those who believe in the spiritual and eternal sense. And the question comes, what does God save you from? He saves you from himself. The Lord God of Israel saves you from the Lord God of Israel. The Lord who is a savior is also the Lord who is the judge. God is saving you from, from him. Think about that. What are we delivered from? We're delivered from the judgment of God. We're delivered from eternal damnation where the Lord God of Israel will, will, will cast you if you do not believe him. But you see, God is so gracious and so good. Remember last week, he talked to you about Enoch. Remember that? How he walked with God for 300 years and God took him. Enoch had a son. Know what his son's name was? Methuselah. You know how long Methuselah lived? 969 years. Do you know what his name means? His name means everything. His name was given to him by his father. 
Because you remember, in Jude 14 and 15, we have the words that Enoch preached. He preached not about the first coming, but the second coming. He preached about the Lord coming with all of his holy ones, that he might deal out retribution on all the ungodly for all of their ungodly deeds. So he named his son Methuselah. And Methuselah's name means when he dies, God will do it. When he dies, God will do it. Do what? Bring judgment. So for 969 years, God's long-suffering was seen. Everybody knew the name of Methuselah. They knew what it meant. And so they knew that there wasn't going to come judgment until Methuselah died. So they wake up every day. Is Methuselah still alive? Well, yes. <laughs> no judgment today. It's a great day. And they went on like this for 969 years. And if you know your history, you know that in the year that Methuselah died was the year the global flood came on the scene and destroyed the people of this world, except for Noah and his family. But Enoch preached for 300 years about the coming judgment of God. Noah, a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, and Methuselah lived during their time and lived 969 years. But when he died, God will do it. And God did it. God judged them because he would not repent. You see, that's the beauty of our God. He is such a long-suffering God. We think he's just so nasty to, to, to send people to hell. Let me tell you something. He is so gracious to let us live just one more moment that we might hear the gospel one more time. He is so gracious, so merciful, so patient, so loving because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Here's a God who waits so long so that you have no excuse. And he waits and he waits and he waits because he wants to save you from himself. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The boy's name is going to be Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And so as you read through the narrative in Luke's gospel, you begin to understand more and more about the beauty of the saving grace of God. That he is the Lord God of Israel. And so when he said to Moses, I'm going to give you my memorial name. I'm going to give you my name that I will always be remembered by. So that when you hear it, it'll never be a mistake about who they're talking about. And so he gave them those, those four Hebrew consonants that, that make up God's name. I am that I am. And it's very important to understand this. 
that Jesus said in John 8, verse number 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And so for three years, he would help people understand that he was the great I am. In John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And whenever you use that phrase, I am, ego, a me, it's a, it's a Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew consonants in, in Exodus chapter 3. Everyone would know that he was telling them he was the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So he says, I am the bread of life. Why does he say that? Because he eliminates all hunger. He eliminates it. The hungering and the thirsting of the soul to be satisfied is met only in the Savior. So he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down out of heaven. I am the bread. I am the one who eliminates all of your hunger. I am the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And then in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And that light is the one that penetrates all of my darkness. It, it, it comes in and shines in the darkest recesses of my soul and sheds light on all of my sin and the need I have to repent of all my sins. And so the great God of Israel, who always wants to be remembered by a memorial name that he is a savior, says, I am the bread of life. I eliminate all hunger in your soul. I am the light of the world. I am the one who penetrates the darkness of your soul. And then you move to John chapter 10. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. Which would take them all back to Genesis chapter 28 about the, the gateway to heaven that Jacob saw when the staircase came down out of heaven. He woke from his dream and he said, I have found the gateway. I have found the door to heaven. So Christ comes and says in John 10, I am the door. I am the gate. And because I am the gate, he initiates all of my walking after him. He initiates it. He is the one who opens the door and allows me to walk with him and walk for him. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10 again. I am the good shepherd. And Israel had been longing for a shepherd. And God told them in the book of Isaiah that all of my shepherds in Israel have led my people the wrong way. So I'm going to send my shepherd, my servant, Christ says, I am, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is the one who obliterates all my fear. As, as bread, he eliminates the hunger of my soul. As light, he penetrates the darkness of my soul. As door, he initiates my walk with him every day. And as shepherd, he is the one 
who totally obliterates all my fear. Because with his rod and with his staff, he comforts me. And then he moves on to John chapter 11, and he gives another I am, ego, a me. I am what? I am the resurrection, and I am the life. There at the tomb of Lazarus, so all would know that it's the great I am who dictates my destiny. He's in complete charge of life and death. The book of Deuteronomy tell, tells us that he is the one who kills. He is the one who gives life. He dictates my destiny. No one else does. And then when you come to John chapter 14, verse number six, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He goes, I am the one who illuminates your path. I am the one who elevates your mind. I am the one who liberates your soul. Because I'm life, I liberate your soul from darkness. Because I'm truth, I elevate your mind toward things of heaven. And because I am the way, I illuminate the path that you should walk. And then he says, in John 15, I am the true vine. This is who I am. I am the vine and you are the branches because I am the one who cultivates all your growth. That's who I am. That's the savior of the world. That's the memorial name of God. That's what he does. And when you come to Revelation chapter one, verse number eight, he says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the everything. And because I am alpha and omega, he mandates my submission. And then in John chapter eight, verse number 58, he says, before Abraham, I am. I am the great I am. And because he is the great I am, he is the one who translates God to me. That's the memorial name of God. That's who he is. That's the savior of the world. And so when they came to get him in, in, uh, in John chapter 18. And, and the temple police came and, and the, the, the religious leaders came and, and, and Judas came and the soldiers came to the gateway of the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ met them and said, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And Jesus said, I am. Ego. Amy, and they all fell over backwards because he is the living God of the universe. He reiterates one more time that I am the God who spoke to Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I am. And so when he stands before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas asks him, are you the Christ of the blessed one? 
And Christ says, I am. And Caiaphas would, would rip his clothes because he would not bow in submission to the great God of the universe as he stood before him. You see, that's the savior of the world. That's the greatness about God. So when the angel said, listen, we bring you good news. That good news is gonna produce great joy. What kind of joy? The joy is that he's gonna save you from himself. That's what he's gonna do. He's gonna save you from God as judge because he's the great I am. The one who eliminates your hunger. The one who dictates your destiny. The one who penetrates your darkness. The one who initiates your walk. The one who obliterates all your fears. The one who mandates all of your submission. The one who translates God to you. That's who he is. The great I am. So there's so much wrapped up in just one verse. When the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people, not just certain people. It's the greatest of all news. And everybody needs good news, right? Nobody wants to hear bad news. We want to hear the good news. Now think about this. Every year during the Christmas season, there is what we call the in-gift, I-N, the in-gift. It's what's in for this year. And every year there's an in-gift that all your children want, that your husband might want or your wife might want. And what might be in for one might not be the in for someone else, but it's the in-gift for that person. I remember when the, when the iPod came out, that was the in gift. And then they came out with the iPod Touch. That became the in gift. Then they came out with the iPhone. Wow, that was the in gift. Then they came out with the bigger iPhone. That became the more inner gift, okay? And then they came out with the iPad. And those became the in gifts year after year after year. Remember growing up, my wife and I, when we first got married, we had the, 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 the game Atari, right? And it went from Atari to Nintendo and from Nintendo to PlayStation and from PlayStation to Xbox. And every year, something's bigger and better and they become the next in thing. It used to be just dolls and then it went to Barbie dolls and then it went to Cabbage Patch dolls and then it went to, God forbid, American Girl dolls that cost a hundred and some odd bucks. And the dolls just kept, kept getting more and more expensive as the years went on. But they became the end gift every year. But not everybody has the same end gift. But the good news that brings great joy is the ultimate end gift. Why? Because the in gift is indescribable. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 15, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. It's something that we really can't explain to you, 
because he's eternal. He's infinite. And that's why when you, when you get to heaven, because he is eternal, because he is infinite, I don't think that you're ever going to fully know God in all of his glory. Because you'll spend all of eternity coming to understand the great God of the universe. So Paul says, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. The good news that brings great joy is the ultimate in gift. Not only is the gift indescribable, the gift is inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. In other words, the gift just keeps going on and on and on. You can't exhaust it. Because it's made up of a person, the Lord God of Israel. And he never grows weary or tired. And so you come to understand this gift, it's an inexhaustible gift. Yes, it's indescribable, but it's also inexhaustible. And that's why when the Lord gave the parable about the mustard seed and, and the leaven, about the church age, it just keeps going and growing, going and growing. Why? Because the gift is inexhaustible. So not only is it indescribable, not only is it inexhaustible, but that gift is indestructible. It is the ultimate in-gift. It's indestructible. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. The inheritance that you and I obtain is indestructible. It's imperishable. It never fades away. It cannot be destroyed. Your end gift might be a new car, but that car can be destroyed. Your end gift might be a brand new toy, but that toy is not indestructible. The gift of eternal life is indestructible. Destructible. That's why it's the ultimate in gift. It's indescribable. It's inexhaustible. It truly is indestructible. On top of that, it is invaluable. It is invaluable. In other words, you can't put a price tag on this gift. That's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Are you willing to give away your life to obtain his life? Because his life's invaluable. His life was given away and he shed his precious blood, the most valued of all blood, to cleanse you from your sin. That's the ultimate in gift. It's invaluable. It's indestructible. It's inexhaustible. It's indescribable. This is the in gift. And then on top of that, I got more. It's incomparable. It's in 
incomparable. There is nothing you can compare to this gift. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. This gift is incomparable. You can't get anything, buy anything, make anything that will ever compare to this gift. This is the ultimate in gift. It's incomparable. Nothing can be compared to it. And because it is incomparable, it is inalterable. In other words, it can never be altered. It can never be changed. It can be never be reorganized. It is inalterable. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that gift is inalterable. In other words, you can't bargain with God. You can't change things with God. You sin, you're going to die. Because that's the wages of sin. It's death. But because God is gracious and loving and kind, he offers the gift of eternal life. And it's the only gift that allows you access into his presence. It's a gift that's inalterable. Not only that, it is a gift that is Sorry. Inescapable. Inescapable. In other words, this gift is so great, so grand, so glorious, if you don't receive the gift, the ramifications are inescapable. And that is the judgment of God upon your soul. That's why it's the ultimate in gift. That's why it's good news that brings great joy. Why? Because if you understand the gift, the in gift, listen, this has been the in gift for 6,000 years. It's just not the in gift this year. It's just not the in gift next year or last year. It's been the in gift since Genesis 3, verse number 15. It's been the in gift for 6,000 years. In other words, it's always in play. It's always the best gift possible. It's always the greatest gift possible. And every Christmas we're reminded once again of the good news that brings great joy. It's wrapped up in the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what causes you to rejoice with joy, with joy that simply, as Peter says, inexpressible. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 8, these words. He says, 
And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You rejoice with joy inexpressible. And even though you can't see him, and even though you've never seen him, our Lord said, blessed are those who believe who have never seen. And Peter says, you've never seen him. But you rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible. And as you read the story of Christmas, is that not what it's about? Did not the, 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 the shepherds run to the grotto in Bethlehem? And when they left, they left praising God and glorifying his name, the Bible says in Luke's gospel. Why? Because they rejoiced with joy inexpressible. Because they were able to embrace the in gift, the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ our Lord. Same with Simeon. He was told by the Spirit of God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And he was able to embrace the in gift, knowing that now he could die because everything about that gift was all there is. And having lived for that gift that had finally arrived, he could die because he lived according to the promise of God. Think about the Magi and the joy that they must have had traveling 700 miles from Persia and probably traveling at night because they would follow the star and they were traveling caravans of, of hundreds so they wouldn't be there in a, in a flash. It would take them probably four to six to maybe even eight months to travel to arrive in, in Jerusalem. And when they, when they got to Jerusalem, they, they were living in such expectation of this great and wonderful promised child, this gift. They went from place to place asking the question, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And the people were like, who? They said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We, we saw his star in the east. We followed the star. And it led us here. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? Nobody had any idea. And Herod heard about it. And the Bible says in Matthew 2 that great fear came over everybody in Jerusalem. Why? Because when a hundred or hundreds of Persian steeds come riding in, and there are kingmakers on top of them in all of their pomp and circumstance. And they're looking for a king when they know that Herod is the self-proclaimed king of the Jews. They begin to live in fear. When Herod heard it, he called the scribes together. And he asked them about this king, where he would be born. And they all knew. They quoted Micah 5, verse number 2. He'd be born in Bethlehem. And so these magi 
were warned not to go back to Herod when the star would lead them to a house where the Christ child was. And when they went to the house, listen to the words that are spoken in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, these words are spoken. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When they saw the star, Numbers 24, verse number 17, they rejoiced with great joy. And the Bible says these words. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Why? Because when you understand the gift, the gift that's indescribable, the gift that's inexhaustible, the gift that's Inimitable. It cannot be imitated. It's the gift that's incomparable. It's the gift that's inalterable. When you recognize this gift, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's why the angel said, we bring you good news. And that good news does one thing, and one thing only. It produces great joy, wonderful joy, joy beyond anything you can understand. And the question comes for people like you and me, if that's true, if that's true, then why is it this Christmas? I have no joy. Come back next week. And I'll tell you, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to spend just a brief moment in your word to realize the, the magnitude of the gift that goes beyond anything that our human minds can understand. And yet, Lord, when we read the word, we realize that, that those who embrace the gift rejoiced with joy inexpressible, full of glory. There was exceeding great joy. So we ask, Lord, if there be one among us today who's never received the gift, may today be that day that they might truly understand the gift of God and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Having embraced the gift you escape the judgment of God. And you're able to live forever in his presence, worshiping and glorifying his name. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice this Christmas season, knowing that you're the great God of the universe. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.